Good morning, Crosspoint Coast. It's so good to be among you. Uh, my name is Miguel Medina. Uh, my privilege is to be the, uh, the lead pastor at Crosspoint Español in downtown Orlando. And I know that I am not a stranger among you because Crosspoint Coast has been serving and has been supporting Crosspoint Español in so many ways. And for that reason, as you probably noticed, many from our congregation have come along this morning. I'm so I'm so glad they all came. And so I'd like to briefly ask those who came with us from Crosspoint Español to stand. If you could do that for me, please. Um, thank you. I know that we have been in your prayers. And for that, we just want to say thank you. I didn't say you could sit down. <laughs> they have a mind of their own. So, we are so excited and we are so expectant to see what God will do through our partnership and through the proclamation of the gospel to Spanish speakers throughout Central Florida. So may you all feel God's pleasure in your faithfulness. So once again, thank you. Thank you for this partnership. Thank you for this friendship. Thank you for your love. Um, we are excited about this partnership because throughout uh, this sermon series, Witnesses, we have seen time and again that God's power to save has no limit. We have seen that the gospel is indeed unstoppable. The book of Acts has demonstrated consistently the faithfulness of the God we serve. We have seen that uh, if God has made a promise to his people, then there is no force throughout this whole entire universe he created that could ever conspire to oppose him in his purposes. Therefore, we can be confident, just as Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And precisely because of that promise he made, we can invest ourselves fully in the work of the Lord. We can invest ourselves fully in the furthering of his kingdom, knowing full well that even any opposition that the enemies of God may try to bring against his church will eventually end up establishing it even more firmly. If you have been able to follow this sermon series from, from the beginning, then you have seen how God has been able to do exactly that throughout the book of Acts. At the beginning, this book shows us how Jesus promised to empower his followers so they could proclaim his message all the way to the ends of the earth. And, and sure enough, we see that God uses a group of people, almost all of them being otherwise incompetent, in order to accomplish this, uh, this purpose. So, on the first section of the book, uh, Acts uh, chapter, chapters 1 through 7, we see how the message of salvation through Jesus is proclaimed to all the city of Jerusalem. And as a result, the early Christian church grows from roughly 120 people to tens of thousands almost overnight. And on the second section of the book, chapters 8 through 12, the message expands to the greater region literally to the rest of Judea and even Samaria. And now on this third and last section that you have been covering, uh, chapters 13 through 28, the book of Acts shows how the gospel, how the good news of salvation, in fact, reached the ends of the earth that were known at the time, that were known at the time to both the author of the book and all the people who were in the book. And that made Christianity the first world religion that went beyond the geographical limits of its region of origin. And even today, 
despite the fact that we live in a society that is more and more globalized, the geographical reality is that if you were born in the Middle East, you're most likely to be a Muslim. If you were born in India, you're most likely to be a practitioner of Hinduism. If you were born in Asia, depending on the particular region, you're most likely to be a Buddhist, Confucian, or Shintoist. But in the case of Christianity, we have seen how it's, how it's gone beyond its place of origin in Israel, Greater Palestine, and Asia Minor. And today you will find that the greatest concentration of Christians is not in Europe. It's not in North America. It's in Africa and Latin America. The, thanks to the obedience and faithfulness of those who put their lives on the line to preach the gospel... This morning, you and I are here. The nations are here. We're the Gentiles. We're the nations. And, and we're not worshiping the false gods of the people groups we came from. We're not worshiping Irish Dana. We're not worshiping Odin. We're not worshiping all the other made-up deities from Santeria. We are worshiping the Lord God, the creator of the universe. The God who is one in nature, but has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts tells us how the Apostle Paul was key to this process, uh, this process of preaching Jesus all the way to the farthest regions. We've seen how Paul decided to share Jesus with his fellow Jews. And as a, as a result, he was rejected. He was persecuted. Therefore, he ends up sharing the gospel uh, with all the Gentile nations he could reach all the way to Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And even crossing over to Macedonia and Greece, so effectively the, the gospel reaches Europe at the end of the book of Acts. However, the persecution that Paul had to endure for him, from his fellow Jews finally caught up to him when he returned to Jerusalem, exactly the way God had revealed it to him through the Spirit. So we see that Paul gets caught up in a prolonged legal process that takes years to sort out. Nevertheless, since Paul was fully convinced that God was personally in charge of every detail in his life, including the adversity he was going through, every time he had to appear before the authorities to defend his case, instead of advocating for his freedom, Paul takes advantage of every opportunity that he had to proclaim Jesus to all these authority figures. People who would otherwise never be able to hear this message. And now, well, thanks to the process of appeals to the Roman legal system, Paul is now headed to appear before what amounts to be the Roman Supreme Court, that is, before Caesar himself. The only problem is that as, we, as, you, as you were able to see as we read chapter 27, as we make our way to Rome, we're going to get a little wet. Uh, Acts 27 has one of the... I don't know if you know that Acts 27 has one of the most detailed accounts of a shipwreck ever to appear on, a, on an ancient writing. It will also show us that the Apostle Paul trusted his Savior so deeply that he was able to show the power of God by remaining peaceful throughout the storm. So um, we're going to read. I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus on verses 13 through, uh, through 38. But first, would you join me in asking God for help as I preach this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you admitting my desperate need. I need to be empowered to preach your word faithfully and clearly, and, and this congregation here needs, needs your spirit to open their eyes and hearts. They need to receive your word and be transformed as a result. 
we trust you for that. We need you for that. We pray that for also that as we face the many storms that come our way, that you will grant, grant us a profound trust in you. That whenever we feel tempted to look at our circumstances, that we would instead trust your faithfulness, which endures forever. And we pray that as a result, those around us who do not know you yet would see your worth and receive your precious son as their savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I'd like to take a minute uh, to talk to you about the value of getting the most out of your setbacks. The value of getting the most out of your setbacks. Uh, and for that purpose, I'm going to use the example of a band. I'm sorry, I'm a musician. I don't have much else to draw from. I'm sorry. Um, this band, after struggling for many years, they, they played at nightclubs. They played at all sorts of dives. They were finally able to score an audition with one of the most prestigious uh, record companies at the time. And that company is still around. The name is Decca Records. Uh, I'm sorry, I probably pronounced it wrong. It, it probably sounds like Jean-Claude Van Damme is preaching to you this morning. Decca Records. So after their audition, Decca Records rejected them almost immediately. They told them that guitar groups were on the way out. History proved that this band was right for refusing to give up after uh, receiving these bad news. Uh, because they knew how talented they were, and because of that bad experience, they were able to have a better audition the next time they had a chance uh, to appear before a, a record label. So the band not only ended up being successful, but also, whether you like the band or not, they also ended up being a significant cultural influence for further generations of musicians and artists, including this guy preaching to you this morning. Pretty much the reason... I picked up the guitar at age 10, 40 years ago. Don't do that. You already did the math. Well, so at this point, you may have already guessed that I'm talking about the Beatles. And don't look at me so religiously. All of you have at least one secular act that you enjoy when no one's looking. So this example teaches us that bad experiences don't have to turn us into people who are paralyzed by bitterness. In fact, today's passage is going to show us that Paul had an encounter with God that had transformed him so that there was no persecution, there was no blow, there was no trial that could take the absolute certainty he had that without a doubt, God would accomplish everything he had promised. Because when we know for sure that God is sitting on the throne at this very instant, we can be confident that whatever looks like a setback is actually going to end up bringing about the kingdom of God. We can be confident that if God calls us to go through suffering, that that very suffering will at the end equip us. It will give us a sweetness of character that we would otherwise not have. And for that reason, I believe that God is calling us to learn the art of suffering well. Because apart from God, suffering leads to bitterness. But under the care and leading of the Holy Spirit, suffering actually breeds servanthood. So as you saw earlier, uh, I will focus on, on verses 13 through 38. So I let me give you a brief summary of what happened up to that moment. We know that the apostle Paul had to appear before both Festus and King Agrippa. I'm going to bomb with these names this morning. I hope you're being patient with me. Um, as I said before, 
instead of focusing his energy on obtaining his freedom, uh, Paul takes advantage of, of this opportunity to share his testimony of how Jesus had saved him. And for that reason, Festus and Agrippa end up sending Paul to Rome so that they are the ones um, issuing the, the, the final ruling in the case. So it looks like Paul had special privileges, even as a prisoner, probably because of his Roman citizenship. I'm saying that because he's allowed to travel to Rome with two of his friends, uh, Luke, who's the author of Acts himself, and um, another believer from Macedonia named Aristarchus. So once they set sail for Rome, from the outset they encounter winds that were unfavorable, which made it difficult for the ship to stay its course. And after much difficulty, they finally make it to the island of Crete, which is where the red marker is. At this point of his life, Paul had become a very experienced traveler, and he could tell that conditions were becoming increasingly dangerous. And for that, reasons, for that reason, he advises them not to continue, and in fact, to spend the whole winter there waiting for, continue, uh, for conditions to improve. But suddenly, conditions did seem to get better, so those in charge of the journey decided not to heed Paul's advice, setting sail towards Italy after all. That takes us all the way to verse 13, where we can see the consequence of not heeding Paul's advice. It, it reads as follows. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. Other versions use the actual proper noun from the original Greek, Euroquilo which means winds from the northeast. It's an awesome name. <laughs> These are strong storms that still tend to form around that region of the Mediterranean during fall uh, and winter. Uh, the name it's, itself is intimidating, and this is where their odyssey starts. And, and this is where they realize that their situation was completely out of their control. Verse 15 says, When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So as you can see, it's the type of ship that, that was not equipped to navigate against winds. Uh, verse 16 says, running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And verse 17 says that after they, they, they hoisted that life-saving boat, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. And that's the end of Euroquilo, day one. Next morning, they were still trapped inside the storm. Verse, verse 18, the author says, Since we were violently, violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So that's an emergency measure that... Uh, to make the boat lighter, and judging by verse 19, it didn't seem to be enough. It says, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So at this point, as long as it helped them survive the storm, they, were, they had settled for navigating even without tools of first importance, as long as it didn't add any more weight to the ship. But as you can see, they were trapped inside a colossal storm. It was huge. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our, of our being saved was at last abandoned. Can you picture that situation? They were inside of a storm, 
of so great a size that during daytime they couldn't see the sun and during nighttime they couldn't see the stars. They struggled for days so they could save their lives, but nothing had changed. So they came to the point where they started losing hope and they were considering the possibility that they wouldn't come out of it alive. So they came to the point where they, where they were the most needy of comfort. But the comfort they get is an unusual kind of comfort because as Paul proceeds to comfort them, uh, as they, at that moment, those who were, um, um, he, he does not miss the chance of Loki yelling at him. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I don't know about you. I'm not sure how to feel about this. We cannot assume that everything that Bible characters uh, say or do is perfect and sinless. Because whenever I messed up in my life and I end up getting a lecture yelled at or getting, you know, I told you so, it's never been a blessing to me, you know? (laughs) But thankfully, Paul didn't stop there. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So at that moment, those who were navigating what Paul realized that as they were getting ready to die, Paul, the prisoner, was displaying a sense of peace and security that no one else shared in that ship. And in this, and this sense of peace gave Paul the ability to comfort those around him who were going through the same ordeal as he was. Uh, this sense of peace had nothing to do with Paul's personality. This sense of peace, this ability to actually be helpful to others in the midst of suffering, this ability to shine through a time of darkness, this ability to point to God when it seemed like the storm was about to swallow the ship, this sense of peace was produced by the following reasons, actually for them. Let me read uh, the, the beginning of verse 23. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God. Let me stop right there. Uh, Paul was able to comfort his, his co-travelers in the midst of the storm because number one, Paul sought God's presence at all times. It is precisely at the time we feel the most tempted to run away. At at that time, God invites us to stop looking at the storm that surrounds us, to, to place our gaze on him and to place our trust in him. You know, Paul being a Pharisee and all, uh, I'm sure that he had memorized all of Psalm 121. And as the storm raged above him, I can just picture him reciting, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I would recite the whole thing, but I only memorized it in Spanish. So let me ask you a question. When storms come to your life, is the word of God stored in your heart? The presence of God is not an emotional state. Rather, it is through the knowledge of the word of God that the Holy Spirit convinces our hearts of the reality that God is with us always, even to the end of the age. For that reason, it is never a waste of time to memorize scripture. 
Now, we can see the second reason Paul was able to comfort his co-travelers in the midst of the storm as we read a little more of verse 23. It says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. Paul was able to remain peaceful throughout the storm because Paul knew to whom he belonged. And since Paul was familiar with Psalm 24, he could say this to his soul. He could say, the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it, all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And because of that knowledge, that gave him the confidence to, uh, um, that as he himself wrote in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know whose property you are? You can have that assurance by receiving Jesus as your Savior and leader today. You don't have to leave this place without that assurance. Now, we can find the third reason Paul was a source of comfort to others during the storm as we read all of uh, verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Paul never had any doubts as to his identity because that identity was not the product of outside circumstances, but instead whether life was easy or difficult, Paul lived to serve as Savior. You can see that as he writes his letters from prison, he, he never identifies himself as a prisoner of Rome. He saw, he saw himself as a prisoner of Christ all the way through. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if we read verses 24 through 26, we will find the fourth reason Paul was a source of comfort to the people around him. Here the angel uh, tells Paul, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So their survival was not going to be easily granted, but Paul trusted God's faithfulness. And if God had promised that he was going to preserve their lives, Paul knew that, that it would be so. Paul knew that even if the boat sank, even if all of them drowned, the same God who created the earth, the same God, that same God had the power to retrieve each and every dead body from the bottom of the sea, bring them all back to the surface, bring life back to each and every one of them, and bring them to safety. Paul knew that God was powerful to do that. So it is never too late for God to show his faithfulness to his word. Nevertheless, um, even though the word of God states that he rules over all things, it also states that we have the responsibility of taking hold of what God has promised for us. Uh, and that is the basis of Paul's counsel to the crew. Now, verse 27, when the 14th night had come, two weeks trapped inside the storm. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven ac across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. 
A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So the sea was getting shallower as they, as they were going along. And that meant that they were getting closer to land. Verse 29 says, And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Now, unfortunately, during crucial times such as this, many among us will lose their courage and they will want to abandon ship. Verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now, I believe all of uh, Crosspoint Coast um, history is, what, 10 years? Am I right? Roughly? A little less. Okay. Well, through the almost 10 years of history of Crosspoint Coast, you have remained faithful on behalf of all your leaders. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. You are especially valuable because you have not jumped ship. And you have seen that it is fully possible that God can bless you even in the midst of uncertain times. And, and we can see that in this passage. We can see that in this passage when Paul ministers peace to the crew and even leads them through a kind of communion as the storm is still raging above them. Um, verse 33 says, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. That's what happened with the body goes in survival mode. Verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So the ship ends up running aground uh, on the island of Malta, which is just south of Sicily. Uh, as soon as they run aground, the waves start pounding and destroying the ship. But before the soldiers started killing all the prisoners uh, in order to avoid their escape, the centurion intercedes. He wants to save Paul's life. And the chapter ends letting us know in verse 44, so it was that all were brought safely to land. This whole account, this is not an allegory. This actually happened. Uh, Almost 300 people had witnessed the power of God through Paul the prisoner. But in order for that to happen, it was necessary that they would first go through the storm and get to the point where they had lost all hope of surviving. And that is precisely what God displays as power. So let me ask you, what storm are you going through right now? Do you feel tempted to lose all hope because it looks like the pounding of the waves is about to destroy your ship? This morning, God calls us to trust his hand, to trust the fact that he remains 100% sovereign, regardless of any storm you may be facing. Um, in his commentary on the book of Acts entitled The Church of Fire, R. Kent Hughes writes as follows. 
Paul was mature in Christ, but was still being shaped through trials. We are often objective-oriented, but God is process-oriented. We just want to get to Rome, but God is even more interested in how we get there. And I pray that we would all share that understanding this morning. May God impress upon us all that if things are not going the way we want them to, that doesn't mean God has ceased to exist. We may, may we not be useless with our crew. May we not be cowards who jump ship at the first sign of trouble. Let us continue to be useful to others, even though it may look as if our ship is about to capsize. May God teach us the lost art of suffering well, as we remember that God has already shown his love for us. That is what our assurance is based on, the fact that God has already shown his love for us beyond any doubt by willingly going through the, through the worst possible kind of suffering. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before, us, before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said, there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. So, dear church, sometimes God will calm the storm, and other times he's going to allow for the storms to rage, but he still remains present, he remains near to you, and he still remains faithful. Let us pray. Dear Lord, um, we pray that you will preserve our trust in you in all circumstances. We pray, Lord, that when we are called to go through trials, that your spirit will keep us focused on serving you with courage and faithfulness. Father, we pray that you will grant us to confidently lay our heads every night on the pillow that is your sovereignty. And that those whose salvation we have been praying for, Lord, may they see the change you have worked in us and come to know you too. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.